Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on this 12th of August. My goodness, we are like on the back end of the year, 12th of August, 2024. Uh, this year went is flying by, uh, which is really cool for me because I'm about re- I'm getting much closer to retirement from my, my day job. <laughs> So the faster it goes, the more awesome it is. Um, but we're so thrilled to be back together with you. And I, yes, I did say Rich and Chris together again. A couple weeks have been by either weather-related or uh, health issues or gremlins attacking everything. <laughs> We've, we're finally able to be back together, and I'm so grateful to have my brother with us. I uh, just want to remind you, as always, we are part of the Christian Podcast Community. Really would encourage you to go check that out. All you got to do is type in Google, Christian Podcast community, community into your Google search engine or non-tracking browser of your choice. I know a lot of you <laughs> like, I'm no, duck, duck, go, or no, this one over here. Um, anything but Google. Whatever whatever search engine of your choice, you will find it. It is part of Striving for Eternity. You're going to find a ton of good podcasts there. Also want you to check out our website, slavetothekeng.com. That is where you will find links to the show, links to our social media, the ability to uh, reach out to us through our, our contact page. By the way, I don't know who it was, but if you use the contact us link or our voice of reason, voice of reason radio at gmail.com, not sure which one it was through, to send me a, a document that is a text that says, brother, what is your phone number? I have no idea who you are and I'm not giving it to you. So if that was somebody we actually know, brother, send me an actual email at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com and we'll chat as to whether or not I give you my phone number. <laughs> um that was weird. It was just a, an email with a text document that asked for my phone number. And I don't answer those. No, that goes right in the trash bin. So <laughs> I don't know who that was. But uh, with, that's how you can reach out to us. That's how you can uh, you know, get in contact, sign up for new, um, new information coming out from the website, whether it's new episodes, whether it's new articles. And yes, I know some of y'all really want me to go back and record those previous articles. Got to find time. <laughs> well, I'm not retired yet. I, I, I do have work stuff. I, I'm going to try and get there. I've also got some research project stuff I'm trying to do myself. And my time management, as I've said before, stinks. So <laughs> pray that I will get onto multiple, th- find a way to do multiple things. I uh, want to thank you again for joining with us. I'm gr- so glad to have my brother Rich back. How are you doing this br- week, brother? Well, brother is always better than I deserve. And over the last couple of months, I've just come to realize just how much better off I am than I actually deserve. It's been a rather trying couple of months around the, my my neck of the woods and things associated with family and a lot of other things going on. But um, as sad as it is to say, that seems to be the norm in today's world with the, our brothers and sisters that, you know, it's you're, we're hard pressed not to find someone somewhere going through some form of sickness, suffering, trying to find a job, trying to find a second or third job to support their family, you know, whether it's an illness issue with themselves or a family member 
or things going on in their life or their family's lives or difficulties <laughs> with parents or children is just it seems like that's just the normal everyday conversations we hear both in public and in private nowadays from our brothers and sisters it just seems like there's a heaviness upon everyone that things just just appear to be very low and desperate and and very heavy and sluggish and depressing and if you spend any time on social media that just seems to exemplify not exemplify but multiply the pressure on all of this and sadly far too many of us look for relief anywhere and everywhere except where we should be looking and that is to the word of god and i am so thankful to be able to be back with you my brother this week and talk to our listeners and i really enjoyed your solo episode i i really like and enjoy listening to this show when I'm not on it. <laughs> and that's that's really the only time I, lish, I listen to Voice of Reason Radio is if it's an episode I'm not on. <laughs> so then I can just listen and enjoy it because like most of us who do podcasting, well, at least you and I, we don't like the sound of our own voice. So I, don't, I never re- re-listen to any of our episodes. A lot of times I do good just to get through with an episode while we're recording and finish an actual thought. So, <laughs> um, un- unlike any, unlike most of these other shows, we do not use scripts. We do not pre-script our discussions. Um, on occasion, we actually have notes, but for the most part, the format for this show is just Chris and I having a conversation about a topic or about particular Bible verses, so if you like a very casual, eavesdrop-type podcast, this is it, because basically you're you're listening in and eavesdropping on two brothers having a conversation about a topic that just happens to be on their minds at that particular moment and day. Now, that's not to say that we haven't really deeply prepared for some shows in the past and did months of research on a few episodes, but generally our show is more conversational in mm. design. Does that sound about right to you? Absolutely. I, I think that's, maybe that's part of the appeal. At least some of us, some of you guys have said that to us. And what we're just trying to do is have a conversation as Christians about a given topic, or as you say, a Bible passage, which actually kind of prompted tonight's program. And the reason we're doing it that way is we're just hoping to prompt our fellow brethren to, look at the world through the lens of what does scripture say about these issues as opposed to you know first off neither of us are trained theologians some of us have considerable libraries of which we read not nearly enough as i stare at multiple shelves full of books uh, <laughs> so we try to learn we, we try to spend time learning these things and and i think rich is much better at the research side of things than I am, which I'm grateful for because he, uh, a lot of times, I've said this before, there is no show without Rich. Um, he's the heart of the show, and he, he, a lot of times, will find things that I just am not been able to get to or found, find time for. And um, but So, while, as you say, there are shows that we pre- prepare deeply for, but that doesn't mean we just approach it well and neatly either. But our hope is, is what we are encouraging you to do is as you listen to these conversations that he and I have, that that's prompting you to think about these matters in a biblical way and seeking what Scripture says and 
seeking to use that as your lens of how you view the world. That's why we call it Voice of Reason Radio. Some of you guys are new. Uh, we haven't said this in a while, but the reason we call it Voice of Reason Radio was, number one, we do really bad market research and didn't realize that there were political and atheist shows that use that title. But <laughs> number two is that there is one true voice of reason, and that is the Word of God. Uh, everything else is just a pretender to the throne, and so we want you to funnel everything through that uh, the voice of God in His Word. So hopefully we accomplish that. So uh, before we get into tonight's topic, anything else you want to want to share with anybody? Well, I will share this with our listeners. Tonight's topic really hit home with me because this is something that I've been dealing with, something I've been struggling with a lot with lately, especially over the last couple of months, and that is finding true joy amidst suffering, trying to understand God's purpose in my own suffering, trying to understand God's plan and purpose for what ones within my family have been going through and and how to deal with these things, how to approach God with these issues, and how to come out the other side of the tunnel once we're in the middle of, of things going on. And some of you will be able to understand the way I'm going to refer to this, there are times in our life where we literally feel like we're stuck in the middle of the desert, wandering with Moses. Mm-hmm. That that is dry. That that you know that we have to struggle to pray. We have to struggle to make ourselves read our Bible. That we have to struggle to do anything Christ-oriented. That you know we just get into these spells where we just want to retreat back into ourselves and into our homes and focus just on things that are around us to the point to where we basically drown out all the noise around us and everything else. And, and it's, we get into a really, really bad time. Um, whether you want to call it depression or not, that's up to you. But, you know, Charles Spurgeon dealt with depression on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, and these are times and periods in our lives as true born-again Christians that we will face and we will deal with. And sadly, sometimes it seems like it's a never-ending battle that as soon as one thing ends, something else starts. And it's almost like we get to a point in our lives where we avoid being joyful because we know that the moment that we begin to feel and experience that joy once again, it seems like the rug's going to get snatched right out from up under us, and we're just dreading the next fall. But there are things and ways and ways the Bible addresses how to deal with these periods in our life, or if you're dealing with a period like that now, I pray that tonight's episode may offer you some advice in approaching God and approaching the Bible in dealing with some of these issues. Amen. Amen. So the reason we're doing this is I I was studying Colossians recently, and I I came upon something that I've read it a million times, but I don't know maybe it's because of this particular season of things that I'm I'm looking into, uh, discussions that are happening online, whatever it may be, and this passage just kind of stopped me dead in my tracks for a minute. 
And so the passage is, is Colossians chapter 1, verse starting in verse 24, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for, uh, for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the, his saints. Now, what what caught me up for the, that moment was something that is really absent from a lot of conversations, um, especially today on, on Christian social media. Um, and that is those first five or so words. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Rejoice. That, that word stopped me dead in my tracks. I've read it a million times. Okay, it's hyperbolic, but obviously I've read it. We've all read that. And I think a lot of us will focus on the, the following passage where he says, I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. And I think a lot of us, like myself at some point, we go, what do you mean lacking in Christ's afflictions? For crying out loud, they beat him to death and they hung him on a cross. He's like, what, what is lacking? Um, but I, I think it was John MacArthur in his study by uh, study notes for the MacArthur Study Bible that actually point out what he's talking about is that the world so hates Christ, so desire to to pour out their anger and their wrath on him that they would continue to do so if he was here, but he's not. So they're pouring it out on Paul and and uh, and, and the and the church, etc. So it's it's not that Christ's sacrifice is insufficient, but rather the anger of the world against Christ is being poured out upon people like Paul for the church's sake. And I think when you look at the world today and you see people who hold up protest signs in the streets and say, if Jesus comes back, we'll kill him again. I think that highlights what Paul is saying there. That's how much they hate Jesus. So we focus on that, in my opinion. That's that's the part we, we tend to focus on, but it's that first few words. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And I stopped to think about it, and I actually wrote this on Twitter. And it says, when is the last time any of us rejoiced and praised God for the blessing of suffering for Christ in his, in his church? Paul did. It's time we were a bit honest with ourselves. We are far too concerned for making the world fit for our comfort, either by trying to mesh with the world, uh, make the church, and uh, let me rephrase that, either by trying to mesh the world and the church so none are offended, or by trying to make the world at least look and act Christian. Uh, we do this, you know, to see suffering, we're so busy doing this, that to see suffering for Christ is a blessing from God, we are, in this we are truly weak. While we must not masochistically seek out suffering to prove our worth, we ought not to fear or shirk suffering when it comes. Suffering is a promise of Scripture, not an option. All to, who seek to live godly will endure persecution and suffering. The question is, will we complain or will we rejoice? And so that was that was one that really, Rich, when I read it, it just stopped me dead because so much, especially right now, for those of us in the more um, biblically sound, maybe reformed camp or reformed adjacent, <laughs> I think is one term I used recently, um, <coughs> excuse me, where we want to see the world challenged in a biblical way. We see this, this vile, evil culture 
And so a lot of it, of discussion right now, is how, as the church, do we engage the culture? How do we stop what is happening that is just so obviously anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Christian? How do we address that? How do we... how? Uh, how do we come against it? How do we change that? And I think there are there are very good discussions to have there. But I stop, it really made me stop and think because as, as I was having a conversation with several people, including a, a brother from our, uh, my church, what is the one consistent drumbeat, one of the, or should I say not the one, but one of the most consistent drumbeats throughout the New Testament? And that is how should Christians live knowing that we will endure suffering. In other words, how do you suffer well in a world that hates Christ? And and Rich, that suffering, I mean, this is we're this is specifically preferring, uh, referring to persecution, but suffering is a promise for all Christians in a variety of ways as you were talking about just as as we started opening this topic. Suffering can be afflictions in our in our life financially. It can be health. It can be family issues. It can be work related. It can be so many different things. And it's not that it's unfair, or we shouldn't recognize the injustice or unfairness of some of those things that are brought against us. Maybe it's not necessarily persecution, but maybe it's a it's a, uh, a just a wicked member of our family who makes our life a, a, a nightmare. Maybe it's an illness that no matter what we've had to go through to try and find relief, or it's a family member who you're caring for is going through that. There's, it's not to say that we don't recognize the pain of it, the discomfort of it, uh, the injustice of it at times. It's not to say that we, we just smile and pretend it's okay. You know, you know the, uh, the word actually tells us that when God, for example, brings discipline, that it's un, it's unpleasant for a time. So we recognize that suffering, whether it's because of discipline or whether it's because someone was unjust to us or whether it's because persecution is happening or illness or, or financial strife, it's unpleasant. It, there's no question about that. But the issue is, is that what that I'm concerned about, and, and this happens on two sides of the ditch, which is why I kind of phrased it the way I did in my post, is that our general default, especially when you live in a more affluent nation such as America or uh, in, in Western culture, first world nations, our, our default tends to be we, we view any level of discomfort as something bad. And I say that not because it doesn't, you know, not because it does, you know, it, it doesn't feel bad. It, of course, it feels bad. But we, we treat it as though it's not a blessing from God. And so if it's not a blessing from God, if, 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 if it's a bad thing, it feels bad, then we must need to do something to correct for it. And so I see a couple of ways that, that that falls apart. First is, like we see in many churches today, uh, and it's a huge issue. We've talked about on this show multiple times over seven and a half years now. It is the the compromise of the church, the evangelical church at large, to be liked by the world. And so you have things like Saddleback Church having a Disney-themed uh, uh, sermon series where the pastors, the pastor team, the pastor and pastorette come out as Woody and uh, Bo Peep from Toy, uh, Toy Story 
you know, uh, churches that have Star Wars series stuff hanging from ceilings and people dressed up in in uh, Star Wars garb for their movie series, sermon series for the summer. We see that meshing of the world to the church to try and make the church more palatable to the world and that the world might come in our in the doors and therefore if the church if the world likes us if it feels comfortable with us guess what we won't find, uh, have a problem with we won't have discomfort we won't have suffering we won't have persecution because we've befriended the world now the word of god actually talks about now uh you know you can't serve two masters different story uh but the point is is that that's one major issue is that in order to avoid suffering, avoid affliction from the world, you do as Vodi Balcom says, if you want to avoid persecution, excuse me, avoid persecution, just compromise. Well, that's definitely one major ditch that the professing church at large is, and it's a huge one. It's one of the biggest issues we see right now and has been for decades. The other side of this, and maybe a smaller side, because it's, I think, when I say smaller, because I think the biblical church, those that are sound in doctrine, who pursue righteousness and holiness, who pursue serving their king, as opposed to meshing with the world, is a much smaller uh, percentage of churches. And then this is a subset of that. So it's a even smaller still, but yet vocal and gaining traction. And I want to be careful how I say this, because I have, we, have, we all have brethren, Rich and I have brethren, who... I think ascribe to this, and um, I think most people would call it like a Christian nationalism. That's um, one of the things I'm trying to study out to make sure I rightly represent what people believe. I, I'm already developing some concerns, but I'll get into that another time. Um, but I believe there are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ who believe this is a, is a, a viable ideological pursuit and want to see to and to interact with the culture in such a way and, and I think this is a laudable concept. I don't think it's feasible. And again, as the more I study it, the easier it will be to me, for me to articulate that. Um, I think it's a laudable desire is to have the culture literally coming under the word of God and, and being bound to God's uh, commands and designs for a nation. And I think that's, that's laudable. I have problems with it. Again, subject for another time. But here's my concern. If the nation is now under the authority of a, a Christian rule, so to speak, and that might not be the best phrasing, but that's just how I can articulate it right now, then what are we saying? We are actually saying that the nation will now be conformed to God's standard, and therefore we don't brook dissension. We don't brook... Uh, differing perspectives that will come against the church because it is a form of Christian authority, a, a Christian form of theonomy or law uh, creation and governing. And again, I'm not trying to say that it's, oh, this is a rule with an iron rod. I'm not trying to say that those that want to see this are somehow terrible Christians. But what happens if we then create this environment? Well, one thing we, we can seek to remove is persecution against the church, suffering for Christians, because the nation is now underneath the authority of a Christian authority. Now, that's a ditch. I'm not saying that that's the big problem, that that's, therefore that's why Christian nationalism can't work. I'm saying that's a major ditch. 
because it's an a, a, essentially an effort to eliminate what Scripture itself declares will happen. Scripture is repeatedly clear that we will face persecution. We will face suffering. You know, uh, in John 13, 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than him who sent him. So Christ facing face persecution himself, we follow him. We are not greater than our master. And he says in verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you, you do. I am not speaking of you, but uh, uh, not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. The scripture will be fulfilled. Uh, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So he's talking about Judas, who is going to betray him. Okay? So, also, the example, I apologize, I I'm, should say that he's also talking about it from verse 15, that he's given them the example of washing feet. So, two things are happening. You know, the, the, the servant is not greater than their master, so we should do what Christ himself has commanded of us. And he says that's why you, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. But he's also revealing that someone has lifted his heel against them. If, if, if they have lifted their heel against Christ, what will they then do to those who follow him? Um, he also says in John 15, 18, uh, if, the, uh, if the world hates you, know that it hated me uh, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. See, I'm connecting them together. <laughs> if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So as followers of Christ, we have his actual statement that we will endure persecution. We will endure suffering. The reason I want to emphasize that is because that is the birthright of every Christian. You know, all who seek to live godly will face persecution. So, how is it, you know, it, it, you know as Paul wrote that to Timothy, by the way, if, if it is our birthright as Christians to endure suffering for his sake, be it persecution, or be it because we live in a broken and sinful world, affliction has been brought upon us. So whether the, that brokenness that leads to illness or that brokenness which leads to sins committed against us, it is the promise of Scripture that we will suffer. Peter writes, 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Paul writes in Romans this, this, this great promise about dealing with sufferings. Not, not only so, or excuse me, verse, uh, Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Pe perseverance, character and character, hope. We endure suffering because it is God's 
one of God's ways of forming us and conforming us to his image. You know, Paul later wrote in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It is over and over again, we have these promises of suffering and affliction, yet consummate with those promises are the promises of what will be done because of suffering. And Rich, that's the thing, when I look at what Paul said in Colossians, that he rejoiced in sufferings, it's, it's a massive paradigm shift. We have to think in terms of what, why are we suffering and what is God doing through it. Would you agree? Absolutely, brother. And that's one of the reoccurring themes throughout the New Testament is the subject of suffering and how we face and deal with suffering over and over and over again, especially in Paul's epistles, he addresses suffering and persecution. Um, when he speaks of suffering in his letters, it's not always in the context of persecution or being put to death for Christ's sake. Um, you have to read the context, you know, of course, in each of the passages. But one directly relates to the other because persecution, because you're a Christian, and suffering from sickness all have the same answer and all point back to the same saving Christ. In Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So first, one reason we go through sufferings and different trials is so that we can be available to help others when they're going through the same types of affliction or trials that we ourselves have gone through. Mm -hmm. Indeed. He, continue, he continues, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Mm -hmm. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's your first key point. Suffering, persecution, anxiety, stress, fear, all of these things, sickness, illness, you know, needing jobs, worried about how we're going to pay our bills, all of these things fall under the heading of suffering. But as Christians, the point of all of that is to make us rely on Christ instead of ourselves. Even, if it, uh, even as it applies to what's going on in the nation and we feel 
depressed over what we see happening and we see what's going on, as it applies to each individual, it is for our benefit to make us rely more on Christ. And what is the outcome of relying on Christ? How does that benefit us as Christians? Well, first, the more we suffer, the more we go through, the more it's going to conform us to the image of Christ, meaning the more we will start exhibiting fruits of the Spirit, meaning fruits of the Holy Spirit, meaning that we're being cleansed, we're being perfected, we're being sanctified, we're being more indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that we will exhibit more of the fruits of, of the Spirit of salvation. I don't have that verse in front of me, if you do, brother, on Galatians, on what what oh. the fruit of the Spirit, fruit keep, of the Spirit you, happens to be. You, you keep talking. I'll, I'll pull it right up. I thought I had it. I, I, pray, <laughs> I apologize. It's not here. But in Colossians, we see another one of these examples that, that leads us back to what the answer is. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things of earth. And that is the key when it comes to finding joy amidst suffering is to focus. Where is our focus? What are we thinking about? Where are we allowing our thoughts to dwell? Um, and I just pulled it. I found my notes. Yes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the ultimate aim of a Christian as we walk this earth, is that our desire should be to conform to the holiness of Christ and reflect these attributes more and more in our life. And you both, you and I know that without suffering, without trials, without having to go through hardships, would we ever truly exhibit fruit of the Spirit from within ourselves as it applies to this, or the better, the tendency is the better things go, the more complacent we become, the more self-reliant we become, the more puffed up in ourselves we become. But through suffering and hardships, just like the ones that Christ went through himself, it conforms us to his image. It molds us to his image. It helps us to exhibit and, and personify the type of characteristics that God demands from us that's impossible by our own will or our own courage or our own determination. But it's through that conformity in his image that we start to grow and mature into these things, and that will not come about without hardship, pain, and suffering. Um, and in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That is something that really and truly is impossible on our own. But without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit working through us, having been humbled by God through those things, we could never attain that level of maturity that is in Christ. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that once said that before Christ will use a man, he'll break that man. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that still holds true. You look at a lot of the ones that we use as examples in today's 
Christianity that are we consider solid biblical pastors such as John MacArthur, Steve Lawson, Paul Washer, R.C. Sproul, and so many others. We see the fruit of what they've attained in their maturity, but we never realize just how much and how hard Christ has crushed them at some point in time in their lives Mm -hmm. in order for them to emulate Christ and his characteristics as much as they do. We see the outcome, but we don't experience, we don't see what they truly have gone through in order to be molded into that pot fit for the use by our King and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And we want the easy way out. Nobody sits around and prays, Lord, please crush me, please make things hard on me so I can grow in maturity. No, we, we want to exhibit godliness. We want to exhibit Christ's likeness, but we kind of want to just snap our fingers and have it automatically without having to go through those growing pains, as it were, to get there. You know, um, as a parent, and I'm not sure if that term is even around nowadays, when a child, especially those teenage years, and, and we used to refer to it as going through growing pains to where, you know, their feet were bigger than what their body could really control, and they were kind of <laughs> clumsy and stumbly and and would wake up in the middle of the night with their legs hurting or this hurting or that hurting. When I was young and growing up, my dad always called it growing pains. What about you, Chris? Yeah. Heard it expressed that way. Same one. Yeah. And, and, but it's, it's, that's kind of what we go through regardless of our age as Christians. We will not only go through growing pains, but we will continually keep going through growing pains the more that Christ is planning on using us and what he's going to work through us, because in order to be a vessel fit for the holy use of God, we've got to be made more and more into the image of Christ. And that only comes through these hardships, these trials, these sufferings. And the key to surviving, if you want to put it that way, through this, well, let me backtrack for just a moment. As Christians... Christ did not save us just to end up in survival mode, meaning that we just do all we can to just make it through today, and that's it. And then tomorrow we get up, we just survive and make it through that day. Christ did not save us just to survive through the day. Christ saved us to thrive through the day, through his working, through his word, and through the gift of his spirit working through us and in us. At times, we will end up in a period to where it seems like all we are doing is just trying to survive, trying to get through that day. We have to utter all our strength just to pick up our Bible and and read two or three verses. We may end up to where we have to struggle with all that we have just to say a short prayer. But that's perseverance. Through perseverance, we learn to grow. Through perseverance, we, we maintain and endure, just like in Paul's writings, when he talks so many times about all the different hardships that he went through. And I'm sorry, somebody's going to take exception to this, but stress, fear, and an anxiety, if, and when we experience those things as Christians, that is not a sin. What we do with it may be sinful, and how we allow it to control us may be sinful, but Christ provides 
stress, fear, and anxiety in our lives for a reason. Mm-hmm. They are part of suffering. They are part of what Christ uses to conform us to his image. Now, before I get to the real key in finding joy in suffering, would you like to add anything at this point, brother? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head because that's when you think about what Paul said. Now I rejoice in my sufferings uh, for your sake. When he, when he says that, you think to yourself, how can you rejoice in sufferings? And I think a lot of it is that perspective of what, what is it? What am I uh, encountering? What am I enduring? It is God's work in our lives, which, as you say, conforms us and leads us to these very fruits of the Spirit. The, you know, uh, love, joy, pe- peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because just before that, in verse 18, is where he t- starts, or excuse me, verse 19, he talks about the, the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He, through our sufferings, through our afflictions, is purging us from that. Why? Because I think like Paul, who can rejoice for the fact that there is a world that so hates Christ, it's pouring out its anger against Christ on him for the sake of the church. This is the same Paul who said, I have learned to be in content. You know, when he was in, when he was in need, when he had plenty, when he was doing well when he was doing not well. He, you know, how could he do that? Because he believed that he, you know, how does he say it? I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, referring to Christ. How is it you can be content when you have nothing? How is it you can be content when you're being beaten for his sake? How is it you can be content when you're being shipwrecked and left for to float in the ocean for days at a time? How is it you can be imprisoned falsely and and yet be content? Because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. In other words, his dependence is not upon the things of this world, is not a dependent, or his dependence is on Christ, is not on the things of this world. So he's not dependent on the comforts of this world, he, so if he if his dependence is on Christ, then he can endure the suffering because of the same promise which he gave, which is that one in Romans chapter five that it produces endurance and character and hope, but also that the as he said in, in chapter eight that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us, or revealed to us. So his confidence, his contentment, his dependence 
is upon Christ, and all this other, uh, you know, all the all the the things around him are being sloughed away in a sense. It's like the 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 gold being purged of its dross in the fire. It's rising all that those contaminants and all those terrible nasty minerals to the top that can be dragged off. So you have this pure gold. In the same way, affliction is and suffering, which are the promises of Scripture, are those are the things that God uses to strip us of our dependence upon the world and makes us dependent upon Christ. And if you think about it, Rich, we hear this all the time. When we're talking about prayer, this example is used quite often. When do we always go to prayer? Well, when things are bad. We rarely want to pray when things are going well. Yet we will always go to prayer when things are bad. Even the heathen, well, that, even the heathen seems to do this. Well, the problem is when things are going great and mm-hmm. happy, slappy, you know, going about our day, we don't think to pray. We don't think to give thanks to the Lord for the blessings that we've been given that day. We don't even think to give thanks to the Lord for the joy we're experiencing at that moment. Mm -hmm. Sadly, and that's the, one of the themes we see throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel were, you know, would embrace God and follow his ways. And then slowly they drift away and get complacent, then embrace the cultures around them. And then it would take the Lord coming, raining, you know, coming down hard on them. Like, the captivity in Babylon or all these other things to get them to turn back to him. They turn back to him. Things would be great again for a while. Then all of a sudden there they are again. And that was, you know, that's a recurring theme throughout the old Testament. The people would turn back to God. Things would be great for a while. Mm -hmm. Then they turn away and go, go back to doing, you know, their own thing, so to speak. And, but Paul in, in, in his epistles and commenting on what you've said, one of the reasons Paul endured and could know and rely on Christ and confidently state, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One thing, Paul desired to be with Christ in heaven. He was looking forward to dying. He was looking forward to death. He knew that that would be far better for him. But for the sake of the church, for the sake of the brethren, for the sake of those around him, he knew that his place was still here on earth, serving Christ in this realm, serving those around him. And that still applies for us today. Even when we get to that point to where we're like, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go home. I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of just being a pilgrim on this earth. I'm ready to come home. We will not go there until God decrees our time. Until that moment we pass our last breath, Christ has a purpose and a plan for us here on this earth. And a lot of times we may go through suffering, we may go through hardships, (laughs) we may have those great days where things are going good, and yet we may never truly understand how the Lord is using us in someone else's life, especially in today's world with online and social media and and contact with so many different people from all around the world. Sometimes we can change the course of a person's day 
that may change the course of their week, that may change the course of their month, that may change the course of their life through one message. That one little tidbit of hope and encouragement we give someone may in turn have a domino effect to where they proclaim the gospel to a stranger maybe the next day. And who knows, the Lord may use that stranger and raise up the next person. We never know because God's plans and ways are so far above us. But um, we're getting towards the close of this. Before I get to what I really consider the meat of this, do you, would you like to add anything else, brother? No, absolutely. Keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> well, and I, it, Paul alluded to it in that verse in Colossians that I read about think on things above. We go back to Matthew in chapter 6, verse 33, I believe it is, when Christ said, think on, I'm sorry, my mind went completely blank. <laughs> Christ said, think on, here it is, Christ said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the theme throughout the New Testament also. Paul, a lot of, quite a few times, refers back to this statement made by Christ, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When I spoke about spirit of the fruit of the Spirit and what it said in Galatians, that is what it's alluding back to. That are, thing, that are the things from above. That is seeking first the kingdom of Christ, not his ruling kingdom that he will bring about in his own time, but in our daily lives, as we interact with one another, we are to seek the things above. We are to seek the things of the kingdom, meaning we are to seek the things that are the spirit of God, holiness, righteousness, self-control, love, patience, kindness, all of these things, tenderheartedness. In Philippians, Paul wrote, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let's take a look at what these, to dwell on these things means. Well, that, that means to seek first the kingdom of God. That is things from the kingdom of God. Christ never promised wealth. He never promised that we're going to rule or have our own kingdoms or to be kings or to have riches. In fact, what he says about people that receive those things here on earth is that they've received their reward now, but we will be receiving an even greater wealth, an even greater riches when we're with Christ in his glory in heaven. And going back to the Lord's Prayer, of all places, yes, in the Lord's Prayer, is our greatest example of finding joy and suffering. It starts out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That first part is seeking the things of above. That is seeking mm -hmm. the things of God. And that next verse, give us this day our daily bread. Well, first, there's a key word in there most people miss is our meaning not, that we seek not only our own daily bread, but we seek, it, we seek it for those around us through prayer, 
through hopeful words, through encouraging words. But the daily bread that Christ is speaking of in this verse is not literal bread. It's not bread that we eat. It is the Word of God mm-hmm. himself. Christ said, I am the bread of life. Christ says, anyone who hungers or thirsts, I will feed, I will give you water. I am the breath of life. I am the bread of life. In the Lord's Prayer, when it says, seek, give us this day our daily bread, we're to be praying to God to give us our daily portion of Christ, to give us our daily portion of his word, to give us our daily portion of the Holy Spirit, to give us our daily portion of grace, of faith, of truth, of boldness, of discernment, of understanding, of compassion, our daily portion of growing in maturity in Christ, to be seeking to grow and be as much like Christ as humanly possible. But we've got to understand, in order to achieve these things, we will endure suffering. We will endure hardships. It will come in many different forms for many different people. We will face a variety of different things throughout our Christian walk. Maturity in Christ is not gained overnight, and it does not come easy. It is through perseverance. It is through hardship. It is through suffering. But each time we endure and go through one of these trials in our life, it gives us a point to look back and remember, I went through that. I remember what it was like going through that, and I remember what it was like when Christ blessed me once again with the joy of being in him and giving thanks to him for having sustained me through these times that I've gone through in my life. And I know that tomorrow I can endure it once again because I know he will not only be there with me, he will be carrying me through it, he will be sustaining me through it. I have just got to remember to keep relying on him no matter how hard it is, no matter how much I don't want to, I have to keep praying because even in my weakness, even when it's the hardest, that is actually when I'm the strongest because that's when I'm relying on Christ the most. And if you remember nothing else from this episode tonight, please remember that, that in our weakness, in our most bottom, you know, hit rock bottom and crying and despair, and, and we feel like we have no way to go, there's no escape, that's when we're at our strongest because that is when Christ is sustaining us the most of all, brother. And I hope that helps someone. Amen. So do I. So do I. Uh, folks, as, as we're closing up here, um, we want to remind you, we're not talking about like having some sort of masochistic view of suffering to where it's like I need to be suffering it's it's odd I was um, reading the first volume of uh, 2000 years of Christ's power it's a five volume set on church history I think they're working on the sixth volume and I forget the name of the religious group but there were actually a, a sect of Christians during uh, the early church in, in, in the first several centuries that actually viewed persecution as like you had to be suffering, you had to be persecuted to really be a Christian. And it was it's such a bizarre view when you consider that scripture tells us we will do it. We don't have to seek it out. It's it's going to happen. 
So the idea that you would have to pursue this is, is foreign to Scripture. Yet there were those who once did. So please do not hear us say something we're not. We're not telling you to go seek it out or feel like, well, I really am not having suffering, so something must be wrong. Um, when you live in a, in a culture, you know, in Western culture, for example, suffering is maybe very different compared to, say, those who are Christians in North Korea or in the Middle East or even in China. Um, but we still face suffering, even if it's on a different scale. We may face persecution. And by the way, don't let like Christianity Today or the Gospel Coalition or somebody else tell you, um, well, you're not, you, Christians aren't enduring su uh, persecution in America. Yes, we are. It may not yet be to the point where we are being jailed for our faith, although um, one young man who merely read scripture on a, uh, with amplification was taken to jail just recently and, and quite honestly even as somebody who has worked in the field of law enforcement I do not believe the officers actions were justified um, by the way they handled it I just I, I don't, don't believe they were but even though we don't see mass incarceration and jobs being taken from people it, it, persecution is happening it may not be on that level yet, but it is starting. It has started at the fringes, and it is working its way in. And when you are spat upon, hated, cursed at, uh, made to feel less than human, whatever, it is a form of persecution, and you don't have to go looking for it. It will reveal itself, and when you do, remember, you know, Christ Himself in the Beatitudes told us. You know, he said that blessed are you when you suffer for my name's sake, when they speak all manner of evil about you, and they lie about you, etc. It is a blessing to suffer for Christ. We're not, hey, brother. Yes, I just want to point out that yes, we're we're making a contrast. Chris is talking more along the lines of persecution, right? on a national scale where I've been talking more about suffering, hardship, and illness on a personal scale. But I want our listeners to understand that regardless of whether you're dealing with persecution, meaning that you're, you're losing your job because of your faith, or like this young man, you're being arrested, or you're dealing with something within your family, an illness, sickness, it's all under the label of suffering. Yes. It's in different categories, but the answer is still the same within all of it. I just want to kind of make sure that yes. people understand that if they're confused, that yes, we have been talking in, in a bit of a contrast from two different perspectives within this subject. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I wanted to clarify that in just a second, too. While I'm I was, sorry. No, 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 you're totally fine. I'm glad you said it because that's really where I was going next is <clears throat> you shouldn't be seeking suffering. You shouldn't be feeling like if you're not enduring some strange illness or financial suffering, like life is kind of good. Um, we're not saying like you should feel less than Christian either. Like somebody's somebody's Christian walk is so much more because look what they're going through. That's we want you to. We're not saying that it's suffering is something to be pursued, but it will happen in a variety of ways and in a variety of degrees. And thank you for for clarifying that because I was kind of uh, focusing on one side of it for a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
But what we are saying is that those are things that God brings into our life for a specific purpose. And it is by focusing on things above, focusing on Christ, focusing on his promises, focus on, on what he is doing in and through these difficulties and trials, be it persecution on one end or some sort of personal suffering uh, in, in your own life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it is his work in you. It is his promise to bring you to conformity with the image of Christ that is happening. And is it is the recognition that God is doing that and that he's changing you and that he's making you into something that is useful for his purposes to bring about his uh, glory, to bring about Christ to the world through you. That's where we rejoice. That's why Paul, who is suffering for the sake uh, of the Colossians and other churches, can say, I rejoice in this. Why? Because Christ is working in him and doing something magnificent through that. Even though Paul himself was going through even greater suffering for it. So, I say that, and, and, and I want to go back to those two ditches that we were talking about earlier. It is, it is our default to think about suffering in the sense of, well, if it's bad, we have to change it. Now, and that's not to say, by the way, if you are enduring suffering, that you should just stand there and masochistically accept it. If somebody is committing an injustice against you, you have the law. You have the authorities of, to which to appeal. And if you are enduring uh, persecution that Paul himself appealed to the law when he was wrongly jailed, when he was about to be beaten as a citizen, there's nothing saying you can't fight against suffering and, and, and appeal to that which can bring some peace about it. It's just to say that while you are enduring it, rejoice because Christ has appointed you for this time and in his place. That is a difficult lesson for most Christians to learn and we tend to want to think if it's bad I need to make it go away and not treat it as though it is God's blessing in our life in some capacity. So we can either conform to the world to try to make bad things go away, we can kind of control, try to control the world to stop bad things from happening, or we can kind of war against whatever it is and that becomes the focus is somehow to make that suffering stop and not focus on the fact that there's a, a God in heaven through Christ and the Holy Spirit who is conforming you to his image through this trial. So please don't misunderstand what we're saying in that. Hopefully that can bring you some peace in the trials that you face. So uh, want to encourage you. To, now, if this is something that's helpful to you, let us know. You can contact us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Maybe if you'd like to hear some more about this particular topic, how, some other ways that we can address it that will help you understand it more, please let us know. Um, and, and, and again, if you're someone who supports like what I was talking about earlier with Christian nationalism, please do not hear me say something I didn't. Uh, don't come at me and say, well, you don't understand. I'm studying what you believe. 
give me time. <laughs> so, uh, but if you have any questions or concerns or you have show ideas, we want you to contact us, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Let us know. Rich, any last thoughts before we let everyone go? Well, I'm going to leave our listeners with a question, and I'll leave it for you to ponder as well. And this may be something that we will discuss at a later date. But consider this. There are those among us who present themselves as being very prideful, very boastful, very arrogant, very puffed up, who never exhibit any signs of the fruit of salvation, fruit of the Spirit. My question is, do we have any reason to believe that these men and women are actually saved when they are acting completely in the flesh and acting completely contrary to the fruit of the Spirit, do we have reason to even believe that they are actually saved regardless of how great of an orator they happen to be or how great a writer they happen to be? But if there's no true evidence of fruit of the Spirit, is there even an actual seed of salvation planted within them? Because sadly, a lot of people will plant seeds of tear, have a tear grow, and call it wheat, and sadly there are those who are tares who truly believe they are wheat, and some of you will understand that reference, hopefully all of you will, but that is the question I pose to you, the listener, and if you have answers to that question, reply back to us on social media, send us an email, and if several of you are interested, we'll, we'll discuss this on a future episode. But in the meantime, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the gospel of Christ at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Excellent question indeed. Uh, something for all of us to think about and some, something for maybe a future topic. Folks, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for continuing to be a part of our family Please pray for our families in specifics because they do have to put up with us. And they, they are kind enough to, to part with us for a time for us to do this. And uh, pray for the program. Pray that we would continue to be faithful and um, that we would continue to seek to honor God in all that we do and would, that we seek to really just be a blessing to you in some capacity. That's that. If you want to support us in any way, that would be the best way to do it. Thank you for spending time with us. We look forward to talking with you next week. Whatever you do for this week, do it for the glory of God. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you next time.